Welcome to the Mustang UMC podcast recorded each Sunday morning during our 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. services. We invite you to join us in praise and worship during that time, and our hope is that this podcast serves as an encouragement for you and for your family in your daily life. So today's scripture comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 38 through 48. This is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and I'll be reading from the Message Translation. Let us give our attention to the reading of God's Holy Word. Here's another old saying that deserves a second look. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Is that going to get us anywhere? Here's what I propose. Don't hit back at all. If someone strikes you, stands there and take it. If someone drags you into court and sues you for the shirt off your back, gift wrap your best coat and make a present of it. And if someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. No more tit for tat stuff. Live generously. You're familiar with the old written law, love your friend and its unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the supple moves of prayer. For then you are working out of your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does best. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish, to everyone, regardless, the good and the bad, the nice and the nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. In a word, this is what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this. Grow up. Your kingdom subjects, now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others the way God lives toward you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. You all may be seated. Let us pray. And so, Lord, we do pray for your goodness. Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit to be with each of us now, that we may find your presence and that you may teach us in this word that is tough for us to hear and even tougher for us to live. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we live in a, in a world in which people are constantly being offended, right? Um, you, you see it on social media, on the news, around in conversations, is that there is always something that somebody is being offended by. And it's not just a Republican thing or a Democratic thing. It's not about right or left. We are just people who take offense to everything. In fact, there are some of us who we are offended when other people are offended about things, right? And it's just this ongoing cycle of offense and offense and offense. And we live in a time of cancel culture. It's something that we all participate, that when somebody does something that is offensive, that we cancel them, that we say no more of them. And, and while it's been this way for a while, it just feels like it is getting worse. I heard somebody say, and I just think it's quite an interesting perspective on the world, it used to be where I would think, I think I'm right and I think you are wrong. But now it is I am right and you are evil. 
and that we've drawn this harsh boundary and this harsh line between us and whoever them is, and whoever they are is not worthy of being embraced. Now, the question that we have to ask is how does the gospel of grace engage with a culture that values canceling? What does it look like for the goodness and the grace of God to enter into a world of cancel culture? Now, throughout this series of of daring to forgive, we've been saying the same thing every week, which is this idea of grace in and grace out, that we receive God's grace and goodness and that we share God's grace and goodness to the world. And so as we think about living the generous life and the courageous life and the faithful life, it's about being graceful people in an ungraceful world. Now, what does that look like? How do we do that? I want to propose to you today us understanding a word that often I think we misunderstand, and it is the word meek. Now, when I think of meek, probably like a lot of you, the first thing I think of is weak. We associate these things. We like things that rhyme, and so meek and weak we associate. When we hear the word meek, often we think of somebody who's timid, who's, so, who's overly passive, who, who is going to get rolled over by anyone. But in fact, the, the Bible tells us something very different about meek. In earlier on the Sermon on the Mount, on Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says these words, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And I think that we have misunderstood what Jesus meant by meek, and we've let the word that the world has said about it, take away from the word that the word of God has said about it. I love the way that it's described in the message translation. It says this, you're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You see, meekness is about knowing who you are and whose you are, being content with who you are, no more and no less. One, uh, one person gave th- this definition that meekness is strength under control. Now, um, this is the way that I imagine strength out of control. So I've been watching a lot of basketball lately. It's March Madness, right? Um, Oklahoma State won for the first time since my kids have been alive. My oldest is 11 in the tournament. Yeah, we're really happy about that, some of us. All right. Now, there's some of you who are OU fans. I know they won too. All right. They'll lose tomorrow to Gonzaga. So enjoy the day. Okay. Uh, Maybe there are some of you who are ORU fans and uh, hey, you're just riding high. You expected a miracle and you finally got it. All right. So um, now I will say that there may be some of you who are offended that I'm wearing an orange shirt today. Um, Well, this sermon is directly for you, apparently, all right? Um, I'm offended that you're offended, all right? So um, so what what happens is, is that as I think about meekness and I think about March Madness, what I see time and time again is somebody is going to be dribbling the ball, they're going to be driving towards the hoop, and they're out of control, right? And what happens is that somebody slides in front of them and they have the charge call, right? They're out of control. They're going up strong, but they're not in control. But the, the people who score, the people who, who get the and ones, are the, the people who are driving and who have strength, but they are under control. And what we want to do as a group of people is not to be out of control with our strength, nor do we want to be overly timid. But we want to use our strength as being under control. And so kids in box one, I have a little bit of a challenge for you. Draw a picture of someone being meek. What does it look like to be 
strong and, and to have strength under control. Now, I want to go to this text that we read because it really is such a challenging text. I was telling somebody after the first services, is it really as your pastor, I should just regularly be preaching in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, because Jesus' teaching is so revolutionary and it's so hard for us to grasp that we really need to hear it again and again so that we can live in a kingdom perspective in a world that is anything but godly. And so this is what he says. He says, here's another old saying that deserves a second look. Eye for eye, tooth for a tooth. Now you probably have heard an eye for an eye and the whole world goes blind, right? He said, is that going to get us anywhere? Here's what I propose. Don't hit back at all. If someone strikes you, stand there and take it. Try giving that advice to a five-year-old, right? Try giving that advice to a 35-year-old or a 55-year-old. We don't like this. We want to we get revenge. We want to retaliate. We want to get back. What, you can just hit me and I don't get to do anything? This is really the way of Jesus? Yes, this is really the way of Jesus. Now, when I preach texts like this, I want to be real careful um, and just acknowledge that if, if anybody out there is, is, is being abused, that this is not saying keep taking it. That's not what this is saying in the context of being abused, and especially if you're in a domestic relationship and you're being abused, this is not saying just keep taking it, that's what God wants for you. That's not the case. If you're being abused, you need to reach out and ask for help, um, and we will help you as much as we can. But the gospel says for most of our interactions in life, this is the way that we are. If someone strikes you, stand there and take it. If someone drags you into court and sues you for the shirt off your back, gift wrap your best coat and make a present of it. I've never seen anybody do this. Maybe one of these days. And if someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. No more tit for tat stuff. Live generously. You see, that's not the way we want to live. We want to get even. We want to make somebody pay for the pain that we have experienced, no matter what it is. Um, you know, I've determined that most Christians are at their absolute best when they're driving down the highway. Because if somebody cuts us off, we're just like, yes, thank you. I'm so glad I get to practice my Christian life right now. No. We're going to tailgate them. All right. We're going to uh, we're going to see if they have any bumper stickers that we can read real closely, right? We're at our best. We're also at our best whenever we have to call one of those help centers because technology has failed us. When we have to call about the internet or the phone or whatever the case may be, right? And whoever that poor person is on the other line of the phone, all right, they are solely responsible for your problems. And we're going to make them, tell, make them feel it, right? This is the world we live in. That whenever we are wronged, we want somebody else to pay. But Jesus' words are so different. Because it's a gospel of grace in a very different world. And so kids in box two, I invite you to draw. What do you want to do to somebody um, who is mean to you? What do you want to do? So how does the gospel of grace live in this reactionary world? The good news is, is that we can't do it on our own. Is that We actually need the help of God is that we need Jesus not to be the people that the world creates and instead to be the kingdom-minded people that Jesus creates. We need that same Holy Spirit that we said, Holy Spirit, you are welcomed here, is just as welcome on Sunday morning at worship as he is Tuesday at 5 o'clock as you're heading home from work. That same Holy Spirit is welcome. 
And so we have to live in our true identity, and that means we have to answer some key questions. We have to answer the question, who are we? Because we are not just the thing that just happened to us, but who are we? Is that we are beloved followers. Is that we are people who follow in the footsteps. We are like Christ, that we are following him. Now, I think sometimes as Christians, we get the wrong idea about what following Jesus means. One of the reasons why I love Holy Week is because it invites us to a journey through suffering because life experiences that to resurrection. As a pastor, it, 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 I, I, I'm over it most of the time. I'm not offended most of the time, but I'm thinking we come on Palm Sunday and we wave palm branches and we say Hosanna, and it's a great big Sunday. And then we celebrate Easter. He has risen from the dead, and it's a great big occasion. But so many of us neglect Thursday. And the sorrow of Jesus' last supper with his disciples, we neglect Good Friday and the bitter pain of being alone and wondering, Jesus, what happened? And so as people who follow Jesus, we should expect suffering. We should expect pain. We should expect death. We should expect rejection because our Savior was all of those things and more. And so whenever we choose to follow Jesus, we're not just choosing heaven, we're choosing earth. And we, that's who we are, is that we are beloved followers. Jesus loves us and he is with us even in the midst of this turmoil. So we have to also answer the question, whose are we? Not just who are we, we're beloved, but we are beloved followers of Christ that this is whose we are, is that we belong to him and the suffering that we experience, we suffer with Jesus and Jesus suffers with us and we do so in the name of Christ. This is whose we are, is that we belong to God and we live in a fallen world. This is where we are, is that we live in a fallen world and we should expect fallen things to happen. We should expect tragedies to happen. We shouldn't like it. We shouldn't think, oh, well, there it is. But we are going to live in a world in which you're going to be rejected. We're going to live in a world in which people are going to betray you. We're going to live in a world in which tragedies are going to happen. In a fallen world, this is to be expected. And so what should we do about it? Why should we live a life following Jesus? Why, do we, why should we follow him? What is the point of all this? What is the point of living? It's to know Jesus and to make Jesus known. This is what life is about. It's to know Jesus and to make him known. This is the rhythm and the pattern of the Christian life. What, the very first sermon I preached, you all probably don't remember it, um, but it was over Philippians chapter 3 and especially verse 10 and 11. And let me read this for you. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. We like the beginning of this and the end of this. We don't like the middle of this. We, like, we want to know Christ and to know the power of his resurrection. And we want to attain the resurrection from the dead. We want this world not to be all of it. But we don't want the middle. But whenever we follow Jesus, we got to accept the whole package. The participation in his sufferings and becoming like him in his death. Christians and followers of Jesus are people who know how to suffer and to take hits well. 
because they know whose they are, whose they are, and they know why we do it. And how we do it is by being meek. It's this idea of being strength under control. It's this idea of knowing that we are made in the image of God and that God loves us and and that we are not the most recent thing that happened to us, but we are children of God who are loved by him. So this is who we are. We are beloved followers of Christ, living in a fallen world, trying to know Jesus and make him known by being meek. We are beloved followers of Christ. And because I'm a beloved follower of Christ, when somebody cuts me off, I realize it's not about me, it's about them. And I'm not going to let that five seconds ruin my day. I'm not going to say, oh, that person apparently doesn't like my, me or my car. I'm going to choose to live in the truth that I belong to Jesus and that there are so much bigger things than what just happened here. Now, if Jesus, I wish Jesus was done, but he keeps going. And this is what Jesus does is he keeps pushing us a little bit. He says these words, you're familiar with the old written law, love your friend and its unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. How's that working for us so far, right? When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the supple moves of prayer, for then you are working out your true selves, your God-created selves. Who God created you to be is not that reactionary person, but instead somebody who responds with grace. This is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone regardless, the good and the bad, the nice and nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. This is harsh words even for the church. You know, I've uh, been a pastor for quite a few years and been part of churches my whole life and talked with a bunch of churches throughout my life. And every church I've ever been to thinks they're the friendliest church in town. Every church. Now, what I would say is what they mean by that is that my friends are in the church and I'm friendly with them. But when people walk into the church, the question is, do we greet those who greet us? Or do we greet those that we don't know? Do I go to church just to see the people I know? Or am I going there as an ambassador of Jesus, hoping and welcoming people who come into our family and to our fellowship? I think this church is friendlier than most, but I think it's got to be a consistent challenge. We have to be people who choose hospitality. Because when people walk into the doors of this church, We want them to know who we are and who they are, that they belong here, they are loved here, and that grace lives here. And what Jesus tells us in this last word is is that the test of love that we have is not how we care for our friends and our family, but how we care for our enemies. The test of love is not what we've done for the people who we've been around our whole lives and who we like. The test of love is how we care for the people who are against us. This is what love is. It's not what you do on your best day, but it's how you handle your worst and how you respond to those who come against you. Because grace doesn't attack. It stands firm. And what we have to do as the people of God is that we have an opportunity to stand out 
Because in an ungracious and cancel culture world, what the world needs is this radical decision to love one another. Now, I was a psychology undergraduate, and I had a psychology professor who, who told us that she knew that she could just look at a room and see how, who was cheating in the room. And she said, I'm going to tell you how, all right? She said, because what happens is, is that if everybody is sitting doing this, all right, and looking forward, and one person is sitting like this and looking sideways, it's easy to see who the cheater is, all right? Now, my, my not-so-mature brain thought, well, if we all just sit like this, she won't know, right? Now, so here, no, don't do that, kids, all right? Look forward, take your test, don't cheat, all right? But we are people who recognize patterns. And in this world, we have a lot of negativity. We have a lot of people who zig. And what would it look like if the church truly zagged? You know, one of the things that people have against the church is that it looks too much like the world. Jesus, in this Sermon on the Mount, he says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hid. Why is it that we as Christians look so much like the world? Why is it that we are just as eager to cancel people as everybody else in the world? Why is it that in a world that zigs, we zig as well? What is it about God that would call us to zag and to look differently? Who in this world looks differently? A few years ago, I came across an article that was written by a guy by the name of Shane Windemeyer. Now, I didn't know who he was, but he is the executive director of a group called Campus Pride. He is um, part of the, an LGBTQ leader and was part of a group that was boycotting Chick-fil-A. Now, um, Kathy, Dan Kathy, who is the owner of, of Chick-fil-A, is somebody who um, has strong beliefs about marriage between a, a male and a female. And I don't want to get into the human sexuality conversation right now. I want us to listen to this story. And so Shane wrote this article, and I came across it, and it just sort of struck me. Because this group, Campus Pride, that Shane was leading and a part of, was boycotting Chick-fil-A. And so one day, he got a call from Dan Cathy, and he thought, because the church looks a lot like the world, that he was just going to get yelled at. That he was going to say, how dare you? We're going to defeat you. You're going down. You know, you can't fight us. People love our chicken. It's the best. Our, our drive through is the fastest of all time, all right? Um, there's no chance, right? But that's not what he said. These are his words. He said... When he called, he said his questions and a series of deeper conversations ultimately led to a number of in-person meetings with Dan and representatives from Chick-fil-A. He had never had such dialogue with any member of the LGBT community. It was awkward at times, but was always genuine and kind. Through all this, Dan and I shared respectful, enduring communication and built trust. His demeanor has always been one of kindness and openness. Even when I continued to directly question his public actions and the funding decisions, Dan embraced the opportunity to have dialogue and hear my perspective. He and I were committed to a better understanding of one another. Our mutual hope was to find common ground if possible and to build respect no matter what. We learned about each other as people with opposing views, not as opposing people. Let me read that again. 
We learned about each other as people with opposing views, not as opposing people. Lord, bring that day when we can be that way. Throughout the conversations, Dan expressed a sincere interest in my life, wanting to get to know me on a personal level. He wanted to know about where I grew up, my faith, my family, even my husband, Tommy. In return, I learned about his wife and kids and gained an appreciation in his devout belief in Jesus Christ and his commitment to being a follower of Christ more than a Christian. Dan expressed regret and genuine sadness when he heard of people being treated unkindly in the name of Chick-fil-A. But he offered no apologies for his genuine beliefs about marriage. And in that, we had a great commonality. We were each entirely ourselves. We both wanted to be respected and for others to understand our views. Neither of us could or would change. It was not possible. We were different, but in dialogue. And that was progress. And so over the course of the time, as they developed this unlikely friendship and relationship, um, in fact, even um, Dan, Kathy, they have the Chick-fil-A Bowl um, down in Georgia, and he invited, um, he invited Shane and his husband to, to come and to be there as his personal guest at it. They had these conversations. And Chick-fil-A, uh, as part of the conversations, decided to support some groups instead of some other groups. Um, and Campus Pride decided to not boycott Chick-fil-A anymore. And he ended with these words. In the end, it is not about eating or eating a certain yummy chicken sandwich. I added yummy. He didn't say that. It is about sitting down at a table together and sharing our views as human beings engaged in real, respectful, civil dialogue. Dan would probably call this the biblical definition of hospitality. I would call it human decency. It doesn't feel like we have a lot of human decency, I would say, because as humans, we aren't bent to decency. We're bent towards selfishness and getting even. We need this biblical hospitality. We need this biblical meekness that he showed. And they showed to be able to sit together and see each other as people with opposing views instead of as opponents. And I really believe that they brought the best out of each other in this way. And so this really isn't a story about one's belief on human sexuality. It's really a story about one's belief on humanity. As people, we are going to disagree about a lot of things. We're going to cheer for different teams in a small way. We're going to disagree about major theological things. We're going to disagree about politics. We're going to disagree about a lot of things. But what God calls us to is a different way of living in our disagreements, of opening and seeing the humanity in one another and being people of grace and listening to one another's story. And what would it look like if we as the church of God lived this way in a world that lives so broken? And maybe you're thinking, I don't relate to that story. Let me tell you another one. So a few weeks ago, my son Micah, who's in fifth grade, he, um, we were talking after school. He rides the, the bus home and, and he, he came to me and he said, um, Daddy, there was a kid on the bus who called me ugly. Now, 
The instant reaction of dad, all right, is like, who's this kid? Where does he live? What can we do about it? All right. I'm bigger than him. This is why, right? Like this is, this is what you do as a, as a dad is you want to defend. But I was nice and calm. And I said, so Micah, what did you do? And he said, well, so this kid called me ugly. And I said, no, I'm not. And he said, you're really ugly. And I went and sat down. And he said, I knew that he just wanted to get attention out of me. And if I didn't give it to him, he would stop. And he said, also, I know I'm not ugly. <laughs> and I sat there as, as his dad, just so proud of him. Because I thought, this is the way we live. It would have been real easy for Micah to have shot back and said, you're uglier. You're a jerk. All these things that may or may not be true, right? That's what I feel. But that's not how we live. Because I don't know what was going on in that kid's heart or in that kid's mind that he felt the need to call somebody he didn't even know his name ugly. But I know that that wasn't about Micah. And Micah knew who he was. He knew he wasn't ugly. He knew he was loved. He knew how to respond. He knew who he was and whose we are. And so, Micah, I'm proud of you, son. I love you. And you're awesome. All right? Um, The test of love is not how you care for your friends, but how you care for your enemies. So, kids, in box three, I invite you to draw a picture of Micah on the bus and what it was like in that way. Now, here's the thing, is that Jesus is not asking us to do anything he did not do. Because Jesus was meekness personified. And the truth of the gospel is, is that the world needs all the goodness that it can get. And we sometimes respond with negativity, but Romans 12 says it this way, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We're not going to win this world by getting even. We're going to win this world by getting better. It is God's kindness that leads people to repentance. It's when we sit down and we say, we totally disagree, but I love you, that we win people over, that we help people experience the grace of God. And we know that this is true because in just a couple of weeks, we're going to be celebrating Good Friday. And I remember as a kid, I began to wonder, why do we call it good when Jesus died? Because it was the best. Because on that day, when Jesus died, he turned the world upside down. And in a get-even world, he said, I'll show you what love is. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He chose suffering so that we, who when we suffer, can choose life. And the cross is the meekest act in history. This is strength under control. You're going to whip me, and I'm going to take it. You're going to tell me to carry my cross, and I'm going to carry it as far as I can go. You're going to hang me on the cross. You're going to ridicule me. You're going to mock me. And I'm going to take it. And so Jesus is asking you to take it because he already took it the worst. And he will be with you in the suffering. To follow Jesus is to choose suffering. It's to choose the way of the cross. And so kids in box four, I invite you to draw a cross as a remember that Jesus suffers. And when we suffer, you do the same. And so this is the word of Jesus.
In a word, what I'm saying to you is grow up. Your kingdom subjects now live like it. Grow up, church. Grow up, Aaron. Grow up. Because this world desperately needs us to live this way. They need you to grow up. They need us to zag when the whole world is zigging. They need us to live like Jesus. Now, every once in a while, I feel like I can sum up a sermon in a sentence. And so here's my final sentence for us. Is that meekness is an odd way of living in a get-even world. In this world that wants to retaliate, that wants to cancel, that wants to get back, that wants to pay evil for evil, meekness is an odd way of living, but it's the best way of living. And so what I want you to know is that grace is here and that grace is for you. And because the Holy Spirit who is with us goes before us, grace is everywhere we go. So you're going to be tempted to get even, but let's be odd together. And let's follow Jesus. Let us pray. So Lord, we do. Lord, we just we know that so often we acted ways that look way more like the world than like you. We post things we shouldn't post. We say things we shouldn't say. We agree with people when we should say, that's not okay. We get offended when it's nothing about us. We allow ourselves to be just blown back and forth by the wind. We forget who we are. We forget whose we are. So Lord, today I just pray that you would implant in every heart in this room all those who are hearing my voice online, whether they be hearing this in March of 2021 or hearing this years later, Lord, that your truth is good enough and that you love them, that they are fearfully and wonderfully made and that we belong to you. So Lord, help us to look differently. Help us to zag in a world that zigs. May we stand out because we stand firm in you. May we have the courage of our convictions, but we don't let our convictions convict other people as guilty. And keep us near the cross. Lord, keep us near the place that is completely reliant and dependent on you. Keep us near the place of suffering so that we remember that we never suffer alone, but that you suffer with us. And when we suffer in your name, blessed we are. Rejoice and be glad, for great is our reward in heaven. So God, guide us this week and in the days to come. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, 
please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.